whatever it is, whatever it is you want to do. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> we will be back the following Sunday, though. Please don't miss that. Amen. Uh, <laughs> this is going to be short notice for our, our, our board members. We had a, a meeting scheduled for this Tuesday. Um, it's not going to happen. Uh, not everyone will be present, and uh, quite frankly, I dropped the ball and I haven't announced it properly. So, uh, but I think I think what we'll end up doing is uh, taking a little bit of time after one of the Sunday services. Uh, we don't need to meet long, and uh, I think that'll be just fine. Amen. Uh, let's all stand. <coughs> Again, God has a plan for our service here this morning. Uh, He has a plan for us being here. We're not here by accident. There are no coincidences in the kingdom of God. Uh, We are here for a reason, for His reason, for His purposes. Our responsibility then is to find out what that is and uh, pursue that with everything in us. Amen. So let's do that this morning. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. You are a wondrous, glorious Savior, and we delight ourselves in You today. We delight ourselves in the God of our salvation this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are our all in all, our ever-present help in time of need, our exceeding great reward. Oh, hallelujah, Hallelujah, Jesus. We laud and we magnify you, your most excellent name, your wondrous, glorious name today. Hallelujah, Jesus. We seek your face. We cry out to you this morning for your perfect will to be accomplished that you would speak your words to us, that you would minister in this place. Man cannot, man does not have anything that we need, but we seek you. We seek the Lord Jesus Christ this morning for our needs. Hallelujah, Jesus. And we trust in you that you will meet each and every one of them today, that you will minister according to our desperate need and according to your perfect will this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. We ask that your great great name would be magnified in our midst here today, that your perfect will would be manifest in this service this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are an awesome God. And we give glory, we give honor, we give worship, and we give praise to the Almighty today. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God, praise God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for calling out to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be seated this morning. We've got a lot to cover this morning, so we're going to get right into it. We're going to continue our our, uh, study on different religions. Last uh, service, last Sunday, we talked about Catholicism. (laughs) It's a cold start this morning but we'll get it cranked. Catholicism. Today we're going to be speaking about Islam. And as we go into these, again, just a a reminder that we are not here to criticize, condemn. Uh, There are people in the world that truly believe this. They believe uh, whatever the religion is that we're going to be studying. They believe the tenets of it. They believe the doctrines of it. And they, they live accordingly. We also know that No matter how fervently we believe something, it doesn't really matter if it's not true. We understand that truth is singular. 
there aren't many different truths. Again, the law of non-contradiction states that you can't have both A and non-A simultaneously. In other words, the sky cannot be both red and blue at the same time. Well, it's blue for me, it's red for you. Uh, No. We can quantify it. We can measure the wavelengths that are coming from the sky, and, and they're consistent. You know, and so when it comes to spiritual truth, it's the same thing. There is only one truth. It is objective. It is external, which means that it's true whether I know about it or not. It's true whether I believe it or not. It's true whether I want it to be true or not. I can imagine that, uh, you know, someone falling off of a cliff really desperately does not want the law of gravity to be true at that point. And he has a vested interest in in that not being true right now. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how desperately he wants it to be false. It doesn't matter how desperately he wants something else to be true. It's still true. And it's going to be true all the way down to the ground. In a spiritual sense, we, we encounter a much more serious situation. Because... What we believe is going to determine our eternity. It will determine where we spend eternity. And so, knowing what truth is. And the strategy of the enemy is to dilute truth. To give us all kinds of different options. He knows that there's only one God. He knows that there's only one truth. He knows that all the way through. But he doesn't want us to know that. And so he presents everything else as another option, another alternative. And if we'll grab onto any one of these alternatives, he doesn't care which one. Just as long as you you don't get this one. So as a corollary to these these lessons that we're going to be going through, understanding uh, what different people believe, as a, uh, as a tool to, to be able to minister to them. We also need to understand that we need to know truth. We need to have a good, solid understanding of Scripture, of doctrine. And so, uh, not just for ourselves, but so that we can explain it to others who don't believe the same that we do, who don't believe that, you know, teaching a Bible study is fantastic. We need to be teaching Bible studies, but... Do you know that there are people that don't believe the Bible is the Word of God? And so if, if we try to approach those individuals with a Bible study, it's not going to do a whole lot of good. You need to take a step back with that particular individual and cause them to understand that, help them to see that this is the Word of God. And we ought to follow its precepts. Once we get to that point, now we can dig into what it says. Now we can dig into what it says about how to live, what is salvation, etc., etc. And so, again, understanding where the person is. We can't bring them to C unless they've first been to B. Everyone starts at A. So, as we go through these studies, uh, let's keep those things in mind. We're not picking on anyone. We're not criticizing. We are seeking to minister. God loves Everybody. And it doesn't matter what they believe. He loves them all equally. 
But he wants them, because of his love for us, he wants them to come into a right relationship with him. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 19 says this, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Now we understand this is a a prophetic passage of Scripture referring to Jesus Christ. That is the prophet who God is going to raise up, who God did raise up from our perspective, who he will raise up from Moses' perspective. The proponents of Islam believe something different about this passage of Scripture. Okay, introducing Islam. Now, Islam means not peace. They say that it means peace, but that is not what it means. It means submission. And you will see that practiced in Muslim countries. It means submission. Now, we believe in submission. We believe that we need to submit to the will of God. We need to submit to his plan for our lives. We need to submit to his his precepts and his judgments and his commandments that it might be well with us. But they practice another type of submission. If you don't submit, you will die. As convenient as that would be for our outreach uh, efforts, we do not believe that. Not as Christians. We believe in free moral agency, as taught to us in Scripture. That God wishes us to choose Him. The origin of Islam is fascinating. Before Islam became a religion, uh, there were tribal peoples that inhabited the Arabian Peninsula. They were descendants of Shem, and so were called Semites. When you hear the word anti-Semitism, that's referring to descendants of Shem. Ham, Shem, and Japheth, the sons of Noah. It was a desert climate, so there was very little agriculture except near an oasis or next to the springs that would pop up here and there. Many cities dotted the landscape, uh, two of the most prominent being Mecca and Medina. Medina was a large agricultural center. Mecca was a flourishing economic center. Now, before the introduction of Islam, gods or goddesses were viewed as protectors of individual tribes, their spirits being associated with sacred trees, stones, springs, and wells. Uh, They were definitely very polytheistic. Uh, The Kaaba shrine in Mecca housed 360 idols of tribal patron deities and was the site of an annual pilgrimage. The Hanifs were native pre-Islamic Arabs who professed a rigid monotheism and were also sometimes listed alongside Jews and Christians in pre-Islamic Arabia. According to Muslim tradition, Muhammad himself was a Hanif and one of the 
descendants of Ishmael, son of Abraham. Okay. So, uh, at this time, the pre-Islamic states, the Hanifs, were very much in the minority. They were quite persecuted. Muhammad, uh, according to Islamic tradition, was a Hanif. He came from that tradition. Muhammad means praiseworthy. He's known as the Holy Prophet, the last prophet sent by God to mankind. He was sent to restore the Islam, or the unadulterated original monotheistic faith of Adam, Abraham, Moses, Jesus, and other prophets. He was able to unite Arabia politically as well as religiously. Okay. Born in Mecca in 570 A.D. to the Banu Hashim clan, part of the Kirash tribe, and was one of, the Mecca's, one of Mecca's prominent families, at least later in his life. So he was born okay. He was born well-to-do, except for his beliefs. His father died almost a month before he was born. His mother died when he was six years old. After birth, he was sent to live with a Bedouin family in the desert, lived with his foster family until he was two years old. From here, he was under the guardianship of his paternal grandfather until he died, then to his uncle. In his teens, he accompanied his uncle on Syrian trading journeys to gain experience. On one of these expeditions, he met a Christian monk named Bayura, who is said to have foreseen Muhammad's calling as a prophet of God. Because of his upright character, he was given the nickname Al-Amin, meaning faithful or trustworthy. Later, he met and married a 40-year-old widow named uh, Khadijah. And if I am mispronouncing any of these names, for those online, I do apologize. He began to pray alone in a cave named Hira on Mount Jabal al-Nur near Mecca for several weeks every year. On one of these visits in the year 610 A.D., the angel Gabriel appeared to him and commanded him to recite verses that would be included in the Quran. His wife, Khadijah, was the first to believe he was a prophet and was also the first Islamic convert. Around 613, he began to preach to the public, but most ignored him and even mocked him. His early converts were primarily those outside the social order, foreigners, younger brothers, or sons of great merchants, etc. People who would be a little bit on the fringes. He began to be persecuted when he started preaching against idol worship and polytheism. When he would not be silenced by threat of violence, they tried to bribe him with admission to the inner circle of merchants and an advantageous marriage. He refused both of them. To escape persecution, Muhammad sent some followers to Abyssinia before he and his followers migrated from Mecca to Medina. This event, the Hijrah, marks the beginning of the Islamic calendar. After eight years of intermittent conflict with Meccan tribes, Muhammad gathered an army of 10,000 Muslim converts and marched on the city of Mecca. When they got there, the city offered almost no resistance and Muhammad took the city with very little bloodshed. He destroyed the 360 pagan idols at the Kaaba. Muhammad died in 632 after having converted most of the Arabian Peninsula to Islam. Okay, after Muhammad, Abu Bakr receives the title Caliph, or successor of Muhammad. 
Under his rule, Islam's power in the Arabian Peninsula is completed. In 634, Abu Bakr dies and Umar becomes the second caliph. In 637, the armies of Byzantium lose control of Jerusalem to Islam. Uthman was the third caliph. He orders a complete revision of the Quran, which causes a mutiny. He is killed because he, quote, ceased to be a Muslim, unquote. Ali, Muhammad's son-in-law, succeeded Utham as the fourth caliph. However, he was not universally accepted, and war broke out between the rival factions. Two years later, he was killed. And this divides them into the, uh, the, the Shia party, or party of Ali, who felt that Ali was the rightful successor to Muhammad, and they do not recognize the three earlier caliphs. The other branch is the Sunnis, or the Shiites. I'm sorry, no, the, the Shiites is the party of Ali. The Sunnis accept Ali and the first three caliphates as legitimate. So at this point, we're divided into the Shiites and the Sunnis, divisions that we know today. After the defeat of the Byzantine and Persian kingdoms in successive battles, the armies of Islam advanced on Europe. They reached the, cities, the city of Tours in France, where their advance was stopped by Charles Martel, the grandfather of Charlemagne. Islamic power in Europe continued to wane, and in 1489, Ferdinand and Isabella of Spain defeated the last remaining forces in Spain. Later, the Ottoman Empire would retreat from the rest of Europe. In the east, Islam continued to expand until by the 13th century it had reached the Pacific Ocean. Ferdinand Magellan, wanting to bring Christianity to Asia before Islam, discovered a non-Muslim-controlled route via the Atlantic Ocean. Magellan was successful in introducing Christianity to the northern island of the Philippines, named after King Philip of Spain, while Islam was successful in the southern parts of the Philippines and Indonesia. Eventually, Islam and Christianity became the two major rival religions in the world. Today, Islam is in a state of conflict between Western secular culture and traditional Islamic culture. Many fundamentalists ask themselves, if Islam is the religion of Allah, why are we being defeated by the West, the United States, and Israel? They see it as a problem stemming from not living as the Quran demands. So some of their doctrines, <clears throat> and we get these right from the Quran. I think in your notes I've listed the, the scripture verses. If you have a Quran and you want to look them up. Maybe as an aside too, uh, if you did have a Quran and wanted to look them up, that would be okay. That would be fine. Uh my only warning would be is to not be tempted to study it incessantly. Uh, there are people in the world, there are Christians who, I guess they feel like it's their, their ministry or their burden, uh, but they study these things all the way down. They study things like Satanism. They study uh, different world religions. To the exclusion of everything else, and I would recommend against that. I'm not afraid of the Quran. I would read the Quran, uh, but it's not scripture. It's not truth. So, uh, just like I would read any other book, um, Christian or otherwise, 
It's, uh, as far as it adheres to Scripture, well. When it stops adhering to Scripture, well, I'll probably just throw that out. Eat the meat, as they say, and spit out the bones. We read all kinds of books, and books are good. Books are good to read, but just understand, they're not Scripture. So some of their doctrines, they believe there is only one God. Already we're on pretty familiar ground. God is called Allah by the Muslim people. Allah sees all things and is present everywhere. Allah is the sole creator and sustainer of the universe. Allah is not a trinity, but is one. Allah is all-knowing and all-powerful. Allah created the heaven and the earth. Okay. Sounds pretty similar to our God. Salvation and judgment. Allah will judge all people on the day of judgment. If your good deeds exceed your bad deeds, and you believe in Allah and and sincerely repent of sins, you may go to heaven. This is one area that we're going to differ. Good deeds are good, but as far as salvation goes, they're absolutely irrelevant. We can't do enough good deeds to earn salvation. Our good deeds are manifest because of our salvation. There is an eternal hell for those who are not Muslims, not practicing Islam, and not of the true faith. Hell is a place of unlimited capacity, eternal torment, fire with boiling water, where skin is burned and renewed. It is for unbelievers and for jinn with faces covered with fire. Jinn we'll talk about a little bit later. There is a tree in hell named Tree of Zakum, from which bad fruit is given and the damned are forced to eat. Heaven, or paradise, is a garden of bliss and fruit. It has rivers with maidens pure and holy and carpets and cushions. There will be a physical resurrection of all people on the day of judgment. And judgment is based on a person's sincere repentance and righteous deeds. The other beliefs that they have, there is an afterlife. There are such things as angels created by Allah that are created from light. Angels are obedient slaves incapable of refusing to do Allah's will. The angel Gabriel brought the revelation of the Quran to Muhammad. The Holy Spirit is the angel Gabriel. Okay, there is no actual verse where the Holy Spirit is said to be Gabriel or is identified as Gabriel, but there are verses that show that both the Holy Spirit and Gabriel brought down the revelation. So they kind of infer that. Jinn are unseen beings created from fire, but are not angels. They have communities. There are both good and bad jinn. Uh, today, you would think of them as genie, genie in the bottle. Uh, and there are, uh, by correlation, by extension, uh, there are not just fire genies, but air genies, earth genies. Uh, the air genie is the one that you're probably most familiar with. You rub the lamp, you get three wishes. Okay. They don't believe that, but that's where that comes from. Jesus was a great prophet, but not the Son of God, is not divine, and was not crucified. Okay, now here we have a serious diversion. Muhammad is Allah's greatest and last prophet, and his message supersedes all other past prophets, including Jesus. 
Our scripture text that we read this morning is believed to speak of Muhammad, not Jesus. The Quran is Allah's word. He literally spoke it to Gabriel, who literally spoke it to Muhammad. There are other holy writings, but they are superseded by the Quran. Okay, the other the other works that they subscribe to are the Torah, Torah, the first five books of Moses, the Injil, Allah Injil Al Sharif, it's a long word, uh, is the message that Jesus gave. He wrote down, but it no longer exists. The writings have been altered by scholars. Uh, whatever agrees with the Quran is true, and the Zabur, the Psalms. They believe in preordainment. The Kedar is the teaching that all things, good and bad, are preordained to occur. There are some Christian denominations that believe the same thing. Predestination. Fasting is to be observed during the month of Ramadan. Drinking alcohol is forbidden. Gambling is forbidden. Man is made from the dust of the earth. And there is no such thing as a last-minute repentance. Okay, so, a little bit of history, uh, how we got to the uh, Islam religion that we have today. The Islam religion is I wish that we could harness their zeal, their passion. Uh, their strong belief in this false religion. They will pray three times a day wherever they're at. It doesn't matter where they're at. A practicing Muslim will lay their prayer carpet out, they'll face Mecca, and they will pray wherever they're at when it's time to pray. There are Christians who will not pray no matter what you say or do. I don't know I don't know what, what point we, we stop calling someone a Christian. They call themselves Christian. We all want to believe that we're Christian. But what does that mean? What does Christian mean? I believe Jesus died on a cross approximately 2,000 years ago? Secular historians believe that. Satan himself believes that. Is he a Christian? Most people would say no. He's not a Christian. But he comes to church. He believes in one God. He knows truth. So at what point do we become a Christian? Christ-like. <clears throat> there are religions in the world that do put us to shame in a lot of areas. Now again, we don't earn our salvation. It was purchased for us on Calvary. And thank God for it. But that ought to put something in us. When we acknowledge what Jesus Christ did for us, that ought to do something in here.
We're going to move from here to looking at errors in the Quran. Now, there are those that will say that there are errors in the Bible, the Christian Bible. And at first blush, I could see why some of them say that. There are seeming contradictions, there are seeming errors in Scripture, but they are easily and most times very quickly resolved. The errors in the Quran, however, are they cannot be resolved. The contradictions simply cannot be resolved. John 17:17 17, 17 says, "Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth." John 14:6 says, "Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me." Okay, so Jesus himself testifies that he is truth, his word is truth, and that's it. At any point when something else diverges from this, it no longer becomes true. This is the standard then. Jesus Christ, His Word, is the standard. That is truth. Surah, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, chapter 4, verse 82, says this, Do they not ponder on the Quran? Had it been from other than Allah, they would surely have found therein much discrepancy. Okay, so this is stating basically the same thing. There are no errors in the Quran. There are no discrepancies. Surely they would be found if there were. Errors and contradictions are a funny thing. And as we go through these, it applies to both sides of the fence. Okay, and I understand that. When someone believes that they have a corner on truth, and we believe that. We believe we have the corner on truth. The Word of God is true and everything else is a liar. God is true and every man's a liar. Something has got to be true. There is a very powerful case to be made for the Christian Bible. We've talked about that in other messages. I won't rehash those. But errors and contradictions are a funny thing. Muslims will be very hard on the Bible and very forgiving of the Quran. And so are we. There are many supposed errors, contradictions, and hard passages to understand in the Bible and in the Quran. I'll just throw one out for uh, consideration. The creation account in Genesis 1 is a little bit different than the one in Genesis 2. So see, the Bible's wrong. No, it's not wrong. It's a different perspective. It focuses on different things. Now, we can go more into that if you want, but just as an example, there are no contradictions. Types of contradictions. There are internal contradictions. This is where verses contradicting each other, verses will contradict each other, or they contradict the laws of logic. Now, from previous messages, we understand the laws of logic are the way God thinks naturally. That's how he thinks by default. He is a God of order, not chaos. He is a God of law, not rebellion. He thinks logically. He created the universe 
to operate logically. The laws of, of nature, the laws of reality, the laws of physics, they operate consistently, logically. And they are discoverable, and they are testable, and they are provable all the way through. The laws of physics here on earth are exactly the same, and they operate exactly the same as the Andromeda galaxy, as a galaxy 10 billion light years from here. It's the same. External errors versus contradicting the facts of history or science. And versus contradicting earlier revelations. Okay. So here's our list. In the Surah, chapter 34, verse 50, he commands Moses to say, quote, If I go astray, I go astray only to my own loss. Okay. That's our starting point. Now, who does the Quran say was the first Muslim? Well, it depends on what part of the Quran we're looking at. We see Muhammad is the first Muslim. Later on, we see Moses is. Uh, and then some Egyptians. In other areas, it's Abraham. In other areas, yet it's Adam is the first Muslim. So we have some contradictions here. How many mothers does a Muslim have? In chapter 58, verse 2, only one. The woman who gave birth to them. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 23, they have two. Including the mother who nursed them. Uh, and in chapter 33, verse 6, at least ten. Heavens or earth, which was created first? The earth was created first, then the heaven, in chapter 2, verse 29. Uh, uh, later on, it's the heaven, and then afterward, it was the earth. In 79, verses 27 through 30. Uh, what was man created from? Now again, some of these are going to sound really strange and weird. It'll elicit a chuckle, maybe. But again, please understand. These are belief systems that, that people have given their lives to. And someone on the outside looking at some of our beliefs and practices, they get a chuckle sometimes too. <clears throat> it just depends on where you're coming from. What was man created from? A blood clot, water, uh, burned clay, dust. Nothing, and then this is denied, earth, a drop of thickened fluid. Again, depending on where in the Quran we're looking at. The origin of calamity, uh, in one place it's the evil in our life from Satan, uh, in others it's ourselves, uh, and in others yet it's from Allah himself. Moses and the Injil. Now the Injil is the writings of Jesus. Jesus is born more than 1,000 years after Moses, but in chapter 7, verse 157, Allah speaks to Moses about what is written in the Injil, the book given to Jesus. Uh, ultimately, the strongest, most serious problem in the Quran is that it affirms the scriptures of the Jews and the Christians as authentic and true revelations from God, while radically denying central aspects of their message. 
such as the core themes of sacrifice and atonement in the Torah, the crucifixion of Jesus, the deity of Jesus, and even the mere messianic title, Son of God, for Jesus, the very nature of God, the fall and the sinfulness of man, the necessity and means of salvation, etc. For this reason, Muslims had to rewrite, as it were, the unwarranted theory of corruption of the earlier scriptures, even against the clear testimony of the Quran itself. Okay, there are verses that Christians should be familiar with that we find in the Quran. And the reason is that Islam is so predominant and is becoming more so every day. It is almost, if I can say it this way, it's not, it's not the state religion, but it is definitely accepted by the state today. It's taught in our schools. Uh, it's, it's widely accepted. So it's good to be familiar with some of these things. Because the chances are, if you haven't yet, you will get a chance to speak with one of them. The Surah chapter 4 verses 157 and 158 says this, They that said in boast, We killed Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, the messenger of Allah. But they killed him not, nor crucified him, but so it was made to appear to them. And those who differ therein are full of doubts with no certain knowledge, but only conjecture to follow, for of a surety they killed him not. Nay, Allah raised him up unto himself, and Allah is exalted in power wise. So here, uh, we're denying that Jesus was crucified. In Surah chapter 5, verse 47, And the followers of the Injil should have judged by what Allah revealed in it, and whosoever did not judge by what Allah revealed, those are they that are the transgressors. So here we read that if you don't follow the writings of Jesus, you're a transgressor. But in the previous chapter, they denied a, a very foundational tenet of the Injil, or our Bible. Surah 9.25, fight those who do not believe in Allah, nor in the latter day, nor do they prohibit what Allah and his apostle have prohibited, nor follow the religion of truth. Out of those who have been given the book, again referring to the Injil, until they pay the tax in acknowledgement of superiority, and they are in a state of subjection. Okay, so again, instructing that we ought to follow the writings of Jesus, but they deny the writings of Jesus in key areas. Jesus calls himself the God of the Muslims. Okay, again, the Injil is part of the writings of Allah, according to their belief system. Allah is known as the truth, Al-Haq. In John 14, 6, which we've already read, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So Jesus says, in their own belief system, he is the truth. They also say Allah is the truth. But Jesus is not Allah. He is a prophet. Nothing more. According to their belief system. al baith Allah is called the resurrection. But in John 11.25, we say 
we see Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Al-Awel and Al-Akher, the first and the last. But Isaiah 41 and 4 says, Who hath wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first, and with the last I am he. And in Revelation 22 and 13, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Al-Malik, or the King of Kings. Revelation 17:14 says, These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with Him are called and chosen and faithful. Al-Hadi, the one who guides. But again in Isaiah 58 and 11, And the Lord shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thy soul in drought, and make fat thy bones, and thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. And Al-Nur, or the light. And in John 8:12 we find, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Okay, so we see here that there are some uh, quite serious problems with their belief system. Uh, the Quran has internal contradictions. It contradicts with other of their what they believe to be sacred writings. Now they they kind of try to resolve that by saying, well, the Quran takes precedence. <clears throat> but still, the writings as a whole are then not inspired. They are not from Allah. If there are errors in it. So, again, these errors are not, they're not able to be resolved. And so, understanding these things and pointing them out to a, a, a proponent of Islam, a Muslim, is a good way to kind of get a foot in the door. Helping them to see that uh, this, and you don't have to approach it, you know, dogmatically, well, you got errors in your. I would approach it. Well, my understanding is that it says here this, and then over here it says that. Can you explain that to me, please? They probably can't. And that helps us to, to get a, a foot in the door. Well, this is what I believe. This is what this is what the Bible says. And so Helping someone to come to truth is uh, its a process a lot of times. And understanding that the more fervently someone believes something, the more likely they... Imagine coming to you. Imagine someone coming to you, trying to get you to believe something different. That's not going to happen very easily, is it? I hope it doesn't. <coughs> Because we have a vested interest in being right at this point. We've invested a lot of time and energy into this. I mean, if we, if we, if we set aside all of the, uh, the spiritual connotations, the, the eternal connotations of this, just understanding how much time we have invested, 
I've given my whole life to this. So have you. And then to find out some guy is telling me I'm wrong, I'm in error, that's not going to sit very well with most people. Okay, so we need to understand that. We need to understand that when we're approaching someone of a different belief system, it's not going to happen easily. Now, of course, God, we pray, is working in their hearts, taking the veil from off of their heart, off of their eyes, and helping them to see and to understand. All of that is taking place. But even so, their free will is going to kick in. Their biases are going to kick in. So just understand that. Understanding what they believe and where they're coming from goes a long way. When we can kind of, a a little bit, speak the language. Now they know that you care. You have a vested interest. You care enough to look into what they're saying, what they believe. It's not true. But they believe it with all their heart. And our responsibility is to help them to see there's a better way. A much better way. The belief system of of Islam, it's presented to us as a peaceful religion. It's presented to us as a uh, a pacifistic religion. But it is nothing of the kind. If you read their writings, if you read what the Quran says, you can't accept that as being true. It is a very militant. And I'm not talking militant spiritually. I'm talking militant physically in this world. In Muslim nations, if you don't believe this, if you become a Christian in a Muslim nation, what do you think the fate is of that person? They're not going to sit down with you over a cup of coffee and try to persuade you otherwise. That's not the way Islam works. I'm sorry. Now, having said that, there are people who call themselves Muslims who believe that they are peaceful people but they don't adhere to the Quran a practicing Muslim would call them a backslider an infidel <clears throat> if you're a woman in Islam you uh, you got a rough road ahead of you. The religion of Islam is not peace. It's war. It's conversion by force. And, again, most of the people that we would be speaking with in the United States, I believe, are peaceful. But they're not truly Muslim. Not according to their own writings. They believe something else entirely. 
The, the religion of Islam is militant. It's warlike. It's conversion by force. It's conversion or die. And again, according to their writings, they believe that any strategy is okay. There are, there are militant Islam or Muslims, people who actually believe in Islam, they will come into a Christian church pretending to be a Christian. This is documented. This is, this is the, the strategies that they employ. They will pretend to be something else. They will pretend to believe something else to cause discord, to cause disunity, to break this up. And that's okay. It's okay to lie. It's okay to pretend to be someone else as long as you're serving Allah. Isn't that interesting? So understanding these things, understanding that uh, in a larger sense, when we divorce ourselves from scriptural truth, what's left? Nothing is left. When we divorce ourselves from, an, from the idea that we, will, we are ultimately responsible to an infinite, all-powerful God, our actions are going to be judged someday. When we divorce ourselves from that truth, what's left? There is nothing else left stopping me from doing whatever I want to do. And it's okay. Because who's going to tell me otherwise? Maybe someone stronger than me. Might truly does make right at that point. And so, when I believe that I'm going to stand before Allah and give an account for my life, how am I going to live my life? How am I going to act in a manner that pleases Him, right? And we know what pleases Allah. The death of the infidel, the conversion of all people to Islam. Now Jesus feels the same way on one aspect of that. He wants everybody to have a relationship with him. In equal terminology, he would like everyone to convert to Christianity. But he's not going to kill people that don't. And he is not going to suffer his people doing that. I'm thinking of the Crusades. That is most certainly not the will and plan of God. He wants people to choose him of their own free moral agency. Free will. That's what God wants, not a forced conversion. He wants us to choose. So ministering to someone of the Muslim religion, the Islamic religion, they believe this with all of their heart, like you do. We know that this is truth. It's a reasonable faith. And again, we've talked about this. Blind faith versus reasonable faith. Everybody wants to portray the Christians as having this blind faith. And there are some Christians that 
revel in that. Yep, I just believe this. I just believe it with all my heart. Why? Not a clue. I just believe it. Praise the Lord. Well, we can go a step farther than that. We can have some really good reasons for believing the way we do. And there are excellent reasons for believing the way we do. There are excellent good reasons for believing Scripture, for living according to this book. It's not a blind faith. It is a reasonable faith. We have reasons to believe the way we do. The, uh, the Muslim does not have a reasonable faith. And I'm not saying that judgmentally. I'm saying that uh, rationally. I'm saying that objectively. They have many serious contradictions and errors in their own writings, in their belief system. It is not a reasonable faith. Theirs is a blind faith, but it's a faith nonetheless. And our responsibility as Christians is to pray and to fast and to see God move in their lives as well. Understanding that if ours is true, everything else is false. It's going to lead not to heaven, but to hell. As Christians, we've got to understand something. If you're not saved, you're not going to make it. It doesn't matter how nice someone is. It doesn't matter how good they are to us. It doesn't matter that they give 50% of their money to the church and they've willed it all when they die. That's great, fantastic. But they're still damned if they don't experience New Testament salvation. It doesn't matter how good someone is. It doesn't matter how nice they are and how charitable they are. They're saved or they're not saved. We can't earn salvation. It's a free gift, though. It's a free gift. All we've got to do is come to Him and accept it. If they haven't, it doesn't matter what they believe. It doesn't matter what they don't believe. When they die, they're going to stand before a judgment seat. And they're going to have to give an account. We like to think as Christians, everybody's basically okay. Everybody's basically a good person. If everyone's basically a good person, then... Poor Jesus, he came and died for nothing. Why did he have to hang on that cross then? Because he knows something a lot of us don't. We are utterly degenerate. We are absolutely broken and rift with sin and evil and malice. That's the human condition. We are utterly deplorable without God. But with God. We can become like Him. That's the miracle of salvation. It's not just a belief system. It's a change. We become new creatures. It's not just something we believe. It's a complete change. Here and for all of eternity. That's the power of this message.
That's the power of this gospel. Islam can't deliver from alcohol. It can't deliver from drugs. It can't deliver from the bondage of sin. They're still bound. Jesus delivers. Jesus saves. Ours is the superior message. Not just because it's true, and it is true, but because there's power in it. There's power through the blood of Jesus Christ to save, to deliver, to heal, to restore, to provide whatever it is we have need of. That's the power of our message. It's the superior message. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful that you have revealed truth unto us. We didn't discover it. You showed it to us. Hallelujah, Jesus. We pray for these that have not yet have, have seen truth, accepted truth, whatever stage they're at. I pray that they would, oh God, that you'd remove the blindness from their eyes, the deafness from their ears, the veil from off of their heart. Help them to see, help them to hear, help them to understand and to be converted. Hallelujah, Jesus. Only you can save. Only you can change someone into what we start with, into what you want us to be. Thank you, Jesus, for your so great salvation. Bless the remainder of our service. Help us to seek your face. Help us to be found of you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. We'll take a 15-ish, 16, and we'll be back.